0: Today, we're going to switch gears, we're going to start a new collection of talks that I'm a little bit intimidated about, to be honest with you, before we jump into this, because it's probably one of the most, uh, let's see, elaborate, um, exciting, animated books in all of the Bible. It's the book of Revelation. And, And it's one of those books where I think over the last several decades it's largely been taken from us by bad teaching because when I when I reckon, when I remember just a few like earliest thoughts I have of the book of revelation I started going to church later in life about my senior year in high school and uh, the church I would go to I remember they would they would have uh, folks come through some of you may remember this and uh, evangelists or you know people that had the gift really to understand different prophetic things in the book of Revelation, but but they'd have these super long maps, right? They'd roll it out on the stage and it'd have a timeline and it'd be like, you are here. And, and, and then like, you know, then and I remember one guy, you know, he, he had a book that went along with it. It was like 20 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 2020. Well, guess what? That book probably didn't, it probably sold a lot until 2020. And now, now it's when well, it's collecting dust, but, the book of Revelation is largely, you know, it's, 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 it's illustrative. There's a lot in this book. It's an incredible book. I'm excited to jump into it for a few reasons. But one, I think the way that we see the world changing and where we see the world going really, really has a lot of impact on how we live our lives every day. How we believe that this whole world, how this is all going to come to an end, the way, that, the way that we view those things in the end of the age and where we are in this thing called history and time, it, it largely impacts the way that we live our life every single day. And there's people that right now believe, you know, seven billion people on the planet, probably like seven and a half, and they think that you're just, when we die, we go to sleep. Right? Our seesay, you know, like, like how, what we believe about the end of the world really impacts our day to day life. And the book of Revelation, as far as I can tell, is the only book in the New Testament that is largely almost all prophetic. It's about the future. Prophecy means it's, it's, it's something that is, hasn't happened yet. In the Old Testament, we went through a, prof, a, a prophetic book at the beginning of the year, the book of Haggai. And and the prophet Haggai showed up, and he had all these things, these words and prophecies from God, and they all happened. So we have a lot of prophecy. You know, like one-third of the Bible is prophecy, which is amazing. I didn't know that. It's about future events that hadn't happened when the writer wrote down what he was seeing or receiving. And so in the book of Revelation, most of it is about the future. It's about where we are right now. It was written in around 90 A.D., by by John the, the apostle John he's known as many different names John the beloved he was close to Jesus now he's known as John the revelator right because he wrote the book of revelation he wrote it on a little island now history says that he was exiled to the island of patmos which is about 21 miles in squ- square miles Pensacola beach is about 12 square miles and so he was there, he was a prisoner, and he was exiled. And this is what I really want you to catch right here. This, to me, was so powerful. I mean, John, he's got, I know of it, like, like three or four books in the New Testament. He was close to Jesus. He went up on the mountain with Jesus, the Mount of Transfiguration. He, seen, he knew that Jesus wasn't just a normal man. But, but what I love about John is he refused to quit seeking God until the very end. He was like, some scholars believe he was 100 years old when he wrote this book. And so I want you to know, God is never done with you, right? How do you know if God still has something left for you to do? Well, take your two fingers and put them right here. And if you feel something bumping, that means God's still got something for you to do. And a lot of times, he leaves his best work for the ends. And I think this is John's best work. It's an incredible book. It's, it's the only book that I have found in all of the Bible that says you'll be blessed if you just read it. We're going to read that. Verse 3 or 4, I believe, right out of the gate. It says, if you read this book, you will be blessed. And so I wanted just a few things before we jump in. This book was written for us, but it was not written to us. So again, it was written about 100 A.D., and it was written to the seven churches in seven churches in Southeast Asia. So it was written to the church, but to the church about 2,000 years ago, seven specific churches that Jesus names in chapter three and four. So it was written to specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose. But the Book of Revelation could be confusing because if you open it regarding, like you know, where you start reading. You might be in like BC territory, and then you might pick it up and you're reading about something that hasn't happened yet, thousands of years after the vision was given. And so I want to try to help to put it in a little bit of context. Like, you know, the first thing is it's, it's one single revelation. It's not the book of revelations. It's one single revelation, and it's known as the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so it's from Jesus, and it's about Jesus, And I think we can get off track when we start trying to, like, read into everything that's there, right? I've heard a lot of stuff out of the book of Revelation, right? You've probably heard some. The vaccine's the mark of the beast. Have you heard that? I don't think so, right? Uh, There's beasts with stingers in the book of Revelation. It's, It's crazy. There's flying around, stinging people. There was a guy that wrote a book and said those are Apache helicopters, and that's, you know, like, like you know, so, so again, when you get too detailed in it, it gets confusing. But imagine trying to, you know, imagine living 90 AD and trying to describe what you're seeing in the world right now. I mean, like, if you walk into my house, a Roomba might go by you. <laughs> Like, like, for real, you're talking to a little, like, can called Alexa or whatever, uh, you know, and, and so there's, like, TVs on, this, on the wall, and you're, see, like, like, imagine trying, like, seeing that and then trying to write it down. And so the book of Revelation, I think, number one, is meant to be interpreted literally. And where you can interpret literally, that's, that's what you want to stick with. You can, can kind of get off in right field. But anyways, the first chapter is what we're going to deal with today. And it's Jesus, it's the glorified Jesus. It's Jesus in all of his glory. And this is a, this is a, a Jesus that up until that point, nobody had seen yet, even John the Revelator. He, he had a glimpse on the Mount of Transfiguration, but he knew Jesus as the Messiah. He knew Jesus as the Savior, but he didn't quite know Jesus this way. So let's, let's read, let's start in verse 1, Revelation 1, verse 1. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, this is the one want to circle this verse. Blessed is the one who just reads this book out loud. I had somebody tell me that this morning. You should read this book out loud. If you just read it out loud, you're going to be blessed. The words of this prophecy, blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. What is written inside of it because the time is near. Verse 4, John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits before his throne, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's important. You may want to underline that. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins. From him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And so Revelation the word in, in, in the, the Greek word, the way it was originally written, is like apocalypse, which is where we get the word apocalypse. And a lot of times when you hear that word, you think of a horror movie, right? Uh, ap- you know, apocalypse, some crazy. But, but I want you to see what the word actually means. Apocalypse just means to unveil. It's like the curtain has been pulled that there's been something behind the scenes going on that's been prepared and then finally the curtain is called and it's opened and now we can see it. It doesn't mean doom and gloom. It doesn't mean the end of the world is near, right? It doesn't mean all of these things that maybe you connected with. It simply means that something that I hadn't seen before, I can now see. Something was hidden. And this book largely in part is, is illustrative and so it it uses symbols to describe what is hidden jesus did this in his ministry he called it parables and he didn't really go around and just give content right we like it like give me the facts right make it easy give it to me plain but no he would somebody would ask him a question he would tell a story somebody would ask him a question he would talk about the birds of the air right or he would he would use symbols he would use He would use natural things that we understood to reveal supernatural truths. That's what this book does. It's very symbolic. There's a lot there. But what it really gives us is it gives us this full picture of who Jesus is. Because up to this point, the world knew him as Savior, knew him as the King of the Jews, knew him as a prophet. Even Muslims believe that he was a good man. But this book brings a whole nother level of who Jesus is. It's him in all of his glory, in his fullness. And so the key to, I believe, understanding this book, and I didn't come up with this. It's a guy named Finnis Dake. He wrote the Dake's Bible. He's got a lot of uh, literature on the book of Revelation. But he said there's a key a key. To understanding this book and so he breaks it into three parts and I want to give you that if you're if you're if you're taking notes the first part is the vision of Jesus that we're going to read together today and that's Jesus in all of his glory that's with his hair was glowing his voice was like the thundering of waves he had a sword coming out of his mouth right this is not the Jesus that rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey this is a whole different level it's Jesus the glorified version of Jesus right the second part of the book, so that's chapter 1. Chapters 2 through 3 were specific instructions given to seven churches that existed in, in time and space 2,000 years ago. The seven churches in Southeast Asia, there's a specific word given to each church. Specific details. Every church is given a reward. They're given something to overcome and then they're given a reward. And so I would say that was when the book was being written, when John was writing that in AD 90, that was the reality of the world they were in. He was writing to a church that existed in that moment, in time and history. And so that was directly to them. So those events have all happened. And then the larger portion of the book, Revelation 4 through 22, is Jesus is king of the earth. And this is where we get the riders of the apocalypse, right? The four riders of the apocalypse. We got seven you know, vials and we got seven trumpets and we got, we got seven bowls that are all judgments. And then we hear about the seven-year tribulation and we hear about a one-world government and a one-world system and we hear about the mark of the beast and we hear about this, this guy known as the son of perdition or the Antichrist, this, this one person that's going to rule the whole world. That's a brand new idea at the time, never happened before, hasn't happened yet. But we see this all in the, and this is what I want to give you, because it, it, when you jump into this book, this, the first thing, I, I've got some bookmarks for you. They're, they're for everybody. Um, and I'd love to read through this book together as a church over the next week. And so as you leave, there's a bookmark out there, it's pretty cool. And it's got, basically, the, in seven days you can read the whole book. And when you go to read the book, I want you to remember this, that it's, again, it's not linear. It's not in historical order. And so when you read the first, you're getting the vision of Jesus. And you, the second two chapters, two and three, was letters to the church that, that, were, that were on the earth, you know, 90 AD. And then the rest of the book is, is the, the coming king of the earth. talks about, you know, the very end, chapter 22, the new heaven and the new earth, and Jesus as king of the earth. And so I want to read this book. The, the biggest reason is because right out of the gate, he says, you read this book, you're going to be blessed. And I, to be honest with you, have avoided this book. I'm just going to be honest with you. Like I have, and I don't know if it's just a mixture of I don't understand it completely, or maybe, you know, there's some bad teaching mixed in where somebody got up and said, well, this is that, and this is that, and this person's Antichrist, and this person's this, and, and it never happened. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to leave this book alone. But when we get to the centrality of what this book is about, it, it, it's not about trying to interpret where we are in history right now. It's to give us a full picture of who our Lord is. It's to give us a more accurate vision of who Jesus is. It's a vision of him. And so as we, as we read through it, I, I, wanna, I wanted to give you this, but then I want to also let you know that when you read like chapters 4 through 22, imagine walking around a castle and, and you look in a window, and each window is a time in history. And you peer through that room, and, and maybe you, you, know, you, you see 90 A.D. in that room. And then you walk a little farther, and you look into another window of a castle, and then you see the year 3000 A.D. And then you walk to the next room, and then you see 40 B.C., where, you know, and so that's how this book, it, it jumps around. It is not linear. It is not in historical order. There's pictures. And I don't even think John the Revelator knew what he was writing, right? I, I think he was, in, and again, he was writing what he was seeing. So imagine trying to do that. So, so don't, don't, you know, I, I say read the book, go through it. Don't, you know, don't try to interpret every different toe of every bird. You know, or, you know like, like don't try to get too deep in it because I think you, you might get a little confused. But I want to start with this vision. Jesus in glory. This is chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. I'm going to read it to you and then we're going to unpack a little bit about vision. It says i turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when i turned around i saw seven golden lampstands and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest the hair of his head was white like wool as white as snow and his eyes were like blazing fire His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. That's when you know you got a vision from the Lord right there, right? Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and hell. Incredible vision of Jesus. This corresponds directly with Daniel 10. And what I'm finding is a lot of the symbolism that we see in the book of Revelation, you can find an anchor in the Old Testament somewhere. And so he's using these illustrations that a lot of times you can connect to Old Testament scripture. But vision, this whole book, the whole revelation began when John got a vision of Jesus. And so I really want to talk about vision for just a few minutes. Because how important is vision right now? And I think vision is is it's a picture of the future. It's a picture of the future. It's it's saying you know what I have a desired outcome somewhere I'm heading, and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get there. And a few I'm, I'm just a few months ago I I lost some vision. I got a little confused. You've probably been there before. It's like you leave church and you say, "All right, where are we going to eat?" I don't care. Where do you want to go? And then you drive around in circles for 45 minutes and argue. You know what I mean? Like, no, no, we don't. But, but, but when you don't know where you're heading, it's confusing. You can't make traction. You don't know what's a win or a loss. You just drive in circles. And so I, I'm finding that everything runs on vision. I hit a little bit of a wall. I, I was discouraged and. You know we've had some great times here in the church, and and just praying about what the future was, is for our church. And I, I was having a hard time seeing it. And I called our I called a pastor friend of mine. He said, and he told me as clear as day. He says churches run on vision, but I think people run on vision, and companies run on vision, and families run on vision, and a vision is a desired outcome. It's saying okay. This is what I'm here to do, and this is where I'm heading. And when we don't have a vision for our lives, things get cloudy. And what can happen is is we can have so much fear in the present that it can rob us of any hope or vision in the future. And I feel like that's happening and has been happening now for months. That there's so much going on in our world that it feels like, well, I guess this is all she wrote. But when we read the book of Revelation, I think the two biggest things that come to the top is that we know the end of the story. We know how this thing ends. And so it it injects us with courage and comfort. Because we're not wandering around in the woods lost. We're not sitting at sea on a boat with no GPS, just trying to figure out what's going on, just, just letting the current take us wherever it'll take us. The church is heading somewhere the world is heading somewhere and your life when it comes up underneath that vision begins to take shape but when we don't have any vision we don't have any power in the present when we don't have a vision of our future I mean personally I mean you right now one of the things I like to do is if I'm sitting down with someone and I want to one of the questions I ask him is all right let's pretend that I'm never going to see you again for five years and you're telling me about your life right now and everything that you've done this far. Well, in five years, we're going to come back to this same coffee shop, and I'm going to get a latte, and we're going to sit down and have coffee, and I want you to tell me everything that you've done in those five years. Who did you marry, if you're not already married, right? Where did you go? What trips did you take? How many kids do you have? What company did you start? If you have a company, what does it look like right now? What's your spiritual life look like? Have you taken any trips? Right, right. What happens is the more that we can get a vision for our life, the more that we're going to be motivated. And this book that unveils so much about the future began with a high vision, this beautiful divine vision of who Jesus is. And I think every good vision comes underneath that. I think people that really change the world, they don't start out to, to, to make a lot of money. They don't start out to get a lot of followers, but they start out to glorify God and to reach their neighbor, to help people. And so we need this. I want you to have vision. I want you to have vision. I want you to have vision for your family. I want you to have vision for this church. I want you to have vision for your community. It's, it's defining a future reality. It's saying, I know what the world looks like right now, but this is where I believe God has called me to go. This is where I believe that that, that God has has, has the direction God has called me and what he's called me to do. And and so I want to give you a few things about divine vision. Number one, divine vision is not discovered or created, but it's revealed. I'm a big believer, y'all, that God speaks in dreams and in visions and prophecy is just a fancy word for, for just, it's just prophesying or foretelling the future. And one of the ways that God makes himself real in our life is he lets us know, he'll remind us that I know your beginning, I know your middle, and I know your end. And, and, we, and we know that we serve a God that's, that's omnipresent. And that doesn't mean that I can go on a plane and, and go to Ukraine and God is there because he is. But if I had a time machine, if we could go back to the Jetsons' time, right, and hop in a time machine, if I can go to to the year 3000 A.D., guess who's going to be there? God. And so he's in our past, he's in our present, and he's in our future. And I think one of the ways that he motivates us is he gives us glimpses. When we feel like we're, when we get discouraged, a lot of times it's because we don't see any future. We don't see any reason to go forward. One of my first jobs was um, transporting Baker acts and psych patients. My uncle started a, a non-medical transportation company. I tell you, I learned more about ministry in the back of those vans. And uh, I was so, and I started when I was 16, so I couldn't drive, so I was the one locked in the back. And I, and uh, and it was, I mean, I, it was like you know, you never knew what you were going to get, <laughs> and. Uh, but one thing I found with people, because we would, we would pick them up from the ER and take them to a facility. In the state of Florida, if you try to hurt yourself, try to take your life, your Baker acted for 72 hours. And so you have to go and sit in front of a counselor. And, um, and so we would, we would be in the van with them. And I would ride. And I, there was one thing, the common thread of every person, doesn't matter if they were a billionaire or a homeless person, because I've transported them all. You would think if you had that much money, you don't have problems. But I find finding out that people with a lot of money still have problems, and then people that don't have a, a, a two pennies to rubbed together, they have problems too. But they just have no future hope at all. They had they see no way out but to try that, to just end it. And I think that's the devil's workshop. He likes to make us believe that, well, I've messed up too much or God doesn't have any plans for my life. God doesn't have a future for me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. I've lost everybody. You know, like everybody had a story, but the common thread was they see no way forward. But I want you to know wherever you are in life, God always has a vision for you. God always has a plan. You may not know that plan, and he may not give you that plan, but God always has a plan. And even when you're stuck between a rock and a hard place and your back's against the wall, God always has a plan. And and and, and so when we get in these, this when we get discouraged in the present or we lose hope, a lot of times what we need is an injection. We need a a, a divine revelation. And I wish that there was a three step process to that, but there's not. I wish there was a way to create it, but there's not. I know there's people that are always wanting a revelation from God, and a lot of times uh, they, it's, they ate cold pizza the night before. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it's not a revelation. For, it, it, God chooses to do what he does when he wants to do it on his time frame. And I'm telling you, though, when we get towards the end of our rope, it, it just so happens, I believe it's in those places where God will just give us a glimpse, he'll show us something. Caitlin and I were dating, we're about three years into dating, three or four years into dating. And um, I had just finished up my credentials and, and I had these credentials to do ministry, but I wasn't doing any ministry. I was working at Pepsi and I was kind of discouraged by that. And she had a dream one night. I'll never forget this. She said, it was weird. You were like standing in the back of this room and there were windows behind you with water. In Europe, they're sharing the gospel. And I was like, well, I hope it was on the beach, and I hope it was my house. No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But, but anyways, you know, I was about ready to hang the hat up. I was like, you know what? Pepsi's a good job. I can just ride it out here. And God gave her a dream while we were dating. But, you know, everybody has dreams. I mean, some people have a lot. Of, but, but it was one of those things where I just couldn't shake it. It was a glimpse I don't know, eight years, ten years later, we end up at the marina through a crazy series of events. You know, because a surf shop bought the marina and I happened to surf and, and I knew the owner and, and 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 just just so happened that all the windows around it had water views. It's amazing. Our lives run on vision. And God has a vision for your life. He knows a vision for your life. And not only that, he has a vision for the world. And when you turn on Fox News and CNN and it looks like nobody knows what's going on because they don't, there's one thing God has never said. I didn't see that coming. (laughs) He knows where we are. He knows where this earth is going. And it's so amazing because we are living in the dispensation of grace right now. And it's whosoever will, let him come. And we, everybody can turn to the Lord in this moment and know him and, and get under this vision of God and, and get a vision for their life. But that's going to change. But right now, God wants, to, he wants us to live out this vision. Let me give it to you like this. Revelation 12, this is not your notes. Let me read this to you. Again, vision is revealed. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment it was born. What? That sounds a little different than the story we tell ourselves. Away in a manger. No crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. That was a glimpse of Christmas. And what was going on... When this baby was born, and, and we, you know, we sing it in a different version, but Revelation gives you a picture, it gives you a, an image, it gives you a, a symbolic, like, like it gives you, there's so much richness in there. I don't, we don't sing about red dragons with seven heads, and you know, we don't sing about these, a third of the stars getting thrown down to the earth, but what this book does is it shows us in what we see every day, what maybe we're not noticing. And I want you to know your life is the same way. That there's more to what you see. And that God is working and that God is moving. And what I love about this book is it brings some of this to life. It gives us courage. It gives us comfort. G.K. Chesterton says it like this. He, I love. He's, a, he's known as the Prince of Paradox. And he writes about vision and he, he talks about it in his book called Orthodoxy. And he, he says, you know, from the mo- moment I was a child, everybody was trying to get me to grow up, to stop dreaming, stop having visions, stop, stop living in fairy tale world, right? But he said, I refuse to do it. And he writes in the book Orthodoxy, he says, the older I've gotten, the more childlike I've become. And this is what he says about vision. The vision is always solid and reliable. The vision is always a fact. It's the reality that's often a fraud. So God speaks in vision. Second thing about divine vision is it's not optional. It's overtaking. That when God begins to reveal this vision in your life, divine vision, you're not going to be able to do anything else. It's that dream that you just can't stop thinking about. It's that place that you can't stop thinking about, that you know you need to go, but you haven't gone yet. It's that company. You've had that idea. You've written it down. You've got notebooks full of, of, of operating systems and how it's going to work and how you're going to do it, but it's just not there yet. When John got this vision, I want you to see what happened. He fell, at, he fell down to the ground as though he was dead. We're talking this vision, when it hit him, it was so heavy, there was nothing else that he could do. And it it makes sense now why when I was, you know, going through an internship and serving at a church, and we were all wanting to be pastors, and and, and one of the pastors one time came up to the front, he was talking to the Bible college students, and he said, listen, I'm going to be real with you. If you can do anything else, you need to go and do it. And I thought he was being mean, but he wasn't. Because there's something in, that you were born to do on this planet. And until you find that, you're going to be a little uneasy. You're not going to be satisfied. Just paying bills and dying is not a real good American dream anymore. And you can get all this stuff and you can have success. But one of the worst types of success is to be successful in something that God didn't give you the vision to do. And God has a specific vision for your life. And it's going to be something that is so real, and it's going to light you up like a, like a Christmas tree where you can't do anything else but that. You know that's it. This is what I'm going to do. It's not optional. It's overtaking. Why? Because it's from God. It's from God. And what I'm finding with vision is that a lot of times God will give us a vision, I know for me, and it may not come to pass for like a decade or more. There's things that I've written down that I believe God wants to do. I believe He gave it to me, but it hasn't happened yet. This thing known as upper room and planning a church out here was a decade of praying, the vision Caitlin got, the, little, the dream that she had. I mean, we're talking like years and years and years. And one of the things about vision I want to give you is, is, is circumstances in the world that we're living in changes constantly. And don't forfeit your vision because your circumstances change. Don't forfeit your vision of becoming a doctor because you didn't get into the first school. Right? Don't forfeit your vision of of becoming a veterinarian or becoming a lawyer or, 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 or starting that ministry because your first shot at it ended in failure. Because circumstances will always change. Circumstances will come and go, but the vision When God gives you a a vision, this this vision of, of who he is, it will always stay constant. And that's why I think it's really hard to interpret this book, because we try to take a world that's constantly changing, and we put this book up against it that never changes. And the vision is constant. The vision is central, but circumstances will change. And so we see this, when when John got this this vision, he couldn't do anything else. The next thing about this vision is it had an eternal goal, not an earthly one, right? God didn't give John a a vision to open up 300 Chick-fil-A's in the Southeast (laughs) United States, right? And and sell a bunch of Christian chicken, which again, that could have been a vision from God. You read that story, I think it was. I love that chicken, y'all. I mean, I. I (laughs) I'll just find myself if I hit a wall in the office. I'm going to get me a spicy chicken sandwich. Get that anointing flowing again. But but, but anyways, vision will always affect people. If if God gives you a dream and he will, it's gonna always impact more than just you. It's gonna have earthly consequences, it's gonna have eternal consequences. A few things, I, I, just not in your notes. A God vision, number one, it's always going to be bigger than you. If you can accomplish it on your own, then, then you probably don't need God's help with it. And that's why he'll give us tasks that are bigger than us. And he'll, he'll call us to, to lead companies and do things that are beyond our means and beyond our skill set. Why? Because he wants us to rely on him. It's going to be bigger than we are. Number two, it's always tied to eternal purposes. No matter what you do or what you sell or what your product may be, it's always about people. God's put us here to bring him glory and to serve people. And I'm finding that if you can get good at adding value to people, you'll, you'll always be successful whatever you do. <laughs> It's people work, right? People work before paperwork. It's, it's, it's putting people first. It's not about the, the product. It's not about making money. It's like, no, God has put me here. There's eternal purposes connected and involved. And the people you work with, you don't work with them by coincidence. You work with them because of divine appointments. And God has set that whole thing up because they, they see your life. How are you making decisions? How are you leading this company? How are you leading your own life? It's always connected back to people. And the thing about a God vision, I believe it always takes faith and sacrifice. It's like a rubber band. A rubber band is kind of useless without being stretched. I think our life is the same way. As soon as we get comfortable, God will put something on us. Here's John, 98 years old, on the Isle of Patmos, which is a beautiful island. I've never been. Love to go. 20 square miles, right? He's thinking, all right, this is where I'm going to slide out of here and go and meet God. And, and, then, and then he gets this incredible vision. Faith and sacrifice. God will always stretch us. And here's the last thing I want to give you. I'm going to ask the band to come back up about vision because this is really my prayer for everybody. And I, and I believe it's so central right now to where we are in the world because every time it's crazy. Like I've, I, I didn't grow up in church, but when I started going to church, I mean, I've been going for a while now. And and one of the common threads I always seen in 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 the, what I would call the elders, right, the pastors, the, the 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 leaders of the church, is they always had this. I mean, they just this urgency in their heart. In their heart, like like Jesus is probably gonna come back before the service is over. <laughs> Right? Like, I mean, for real. Like, I mean, I, I will never, I mean, I got, I got saved like every week when I first started going to church. Because cause that was, no matter what the sermon was on, at some point you were going to hear about that. And I think there's something to it. Because when we have this hope, this expectancy that somebody's coming for us, it changes everything. That no matter what hell you've walked through in your life or what dark place have you been or, or, or how long you might feel like you're just stumbling around without any vision at all. You don't know why you're here or what you're here to do. I want you to take comfort in this. Your ultimate reality. When God looks at you, it's right there in verse 3 of chapter 1. He says, you are loved and you are free." Jesus Christ, who is a faithful witness. Let's put it on the screen for him. The firstborn from the dead. The ruler of all the kings of the earth. Let's just stop right there, right? How, how important is that right now? When there's a crazy person that can hit a button and probably send some pretty powerful things our way, it's good to know that every single dictator and king and president and pope, their heart is in the hand of one king. He's a ruler of all the, and we can lose sight of that, but it brings comfort to me. It brings courage to me. I, I look at current events. I look at the news. It's like, whoa, maybe I should get some food. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should, you know, I don't know, get a bunker or something. Like, like it, it seems like things are getting off track here. But no, 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 we have a God who sits on the throne of the universe and there's not nothing that is done on this planet that he doesn't know about. Take comfort in that. Take courage in that. That when we come underneath this vision of Christ and who he is and what he has done for us, it should give you great comfort, not fear. You shouldn't be scared. You shouldn't be looking for the man of perdition or the antichrist or fearful of what's coming. You should be looking for one person. I'm just one person, and no matter what happens on this planet between now and when we slip into eternity, God is on the throne, and He's faithful, and when He looks at our life, He sees two things. He sees someone who is loved, and He sees someone who is free, and I want you to let that soak in this morning, because we're going to pray, and that's... That's really where I wanted to stand and where I wanted to end because this is what happens when we have this vision of the future. It anchors us in the present by giving us a glimpse of what's to come. That's what we really need, right? It's like being in the second, I mean, I don't play football, but I watch it. I mean and it's like you know it's like being at halftime and it's 80 to 0 but you know how the game is going to end. <laughs> you know that no matter what happens that scoreboard you're going to win. And so you might be in the in the locker room and the and the the scoreboard does not look good right now. But when you know that he holds it all in his hands. And when you know there's a God who's coming for you, and when you know there's a God who loves you, and then you know there's a God who wants to free you from every sin and every every setback that you have fought your whole life, it changes things. It gives us power in the present. It gives us boldness. We don't wanna hide from what's happening. We wanna run to it. We don't wanna run for cover, but we wanna run out and tell somebody. I've read the end of the book, right? I know how the story ends. If I, want, I just want you to bow your heads. I want us to pray together this morning. Father, we just thank you so much for, thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you that you're so good to us. Lord, no matter what we've been through or faced, we haven't gone through it alone. And in the beginning of this beautiful book, you put right there at the very front to remind every person in this room, Christian or not, that you are loved. There's a God that loves you so much more than any person on this planet has ever loved you, more than any person on this planet ever will love you that you stepped down from glory, you put on a body of flesh, you walked this earth for 33 years so that you could die and be resurrected to give us hope, to give us a future so that we can have comfort and courage in the middle of a mess. We can know how the story ends. God, I pray that you would birth every person in this room with a divine vision got a divine vision, a vision from you, a vision that they can't shake, a vision that they can't get away from, a vision that they dream about and talk about, that, that that revives passion inside of their life, that they're excited now to go to work, and they're excited to get up in the morning, and they're excited to sit down and eat breakfast. Why? Because they're heading somewhere. Give us a vision of heaven, Lord. Remind us that we are on this planet, and we came from somewhere, and we're heading back there that we're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, that you haven't left us down here on our own, but you have everything under control and every person in the palm of your hand. Give us a vision, Lord, of a world and earth reperfected, where there's a crystal throne, crystal river running from the throne where, where we walk into that river and, our, and, and we become new people. We become who you called us to be, that there's a white stone that you have for every person in this room that you're going to hand them when they meet you, that's going to have a new name written on it. And when they see it, they're going to know exactly what it is. It's that purpose, that vision that you gave them while they were here on earth. God, remind us every day that if our heart is still beaten, there's still purpose. There's still a plan. So Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you today. God, give us a vision. Lord, help us to to walk in that vision. Lord, don't let us settle for being a a wandering generality, but let us be a specific, meaningful purpose, God. Let us live for that vision that you've given us all. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen.